Hello. Welcome to December 7th, 2020. I am going to be speaking today on a matter of um, humanity, I believe I would put it as. And it's a recap of a lecture that Carl Jung gave to an assembly of clergy 70 years ago. And I am reading this recap because it is amazing that 70 years ago, what he had to say is still applicable today. And it was presented um, recently by Alan Watts, a noted psychologist who studied with Carl Jung. Now, I have admired several people who were students of Carl Jung, one notably Dr. Wayne Dyer. But I myself had not studied Carl Jung. After hearing this um, lecture that he gave, I will be. I was very interested. So it starts out that um, Carl Jung understood that behind all your pretensions to be a good citizen or a leading physician, or a politic person, or whatever social role you presume, there is the element of the unreconstructed bum. Not as something to be condemned or wailed over, but as something to be recognized as contributive to one's greatness and to one's positive aspects in the same way as manure is contributive to the perfume of a rose. <laughs> when I heard that, I thought that was beautiful, and I needed to know more about that. So Carl Jung had said, and again, this was a lecture he gave in Switzerland in 1930, approximately 1930. He said, people forget that even doctors have moral scruples, and that certain patients' confessions are hard even for a doctor to swallow. Yet the patient doesn't feel himself accepted unless the very worst thing in him is accepted too. No one can bring this about by mere words. It comes only through reflection and through the doctor's attitude towards himself and his own dark side. If the doctor wants to guide another or even accompany him a step of the way, he must feel empathy towards that person's psyche he never feels it when he passes judgment. Whether he puts his judgment into words or keeps them to himself makes not the slightest difference. To take the opposite position and to agree with the patient offhand is also of no use. It estranges him as much as condemnation. Feeling comes only through unprejudiced objectivity. This sounds almost like a scientific precept, and it could be confused with the purely intellectual, abstract attitude of mind. But what I mean is something quite different. It is a human quality, a kind of deep respect for the facts, for the woman or man who suffers from them, and for the riddle of such a person's life. The truly religious person has this attitude. 
Here she knows that God has brought all sorts of strange and inconceivable things to pass and seeks in the most curious ways to enter a man's heart, a woman's heart. Therefore senses in everything the unseen presence of the divine will. And this is what I mean by unprejudiced objectivity. It is a moral achievement on the part of the doctor who ought not to let himself be repelled by sickness and corruption. We cannot change anything unless we accept it. Condemnation does not liberate, it oppresses. Now, I am the oppressor of the person I condemn, not his friend and fellow sufferer. I do not least need to say that we must never pass judgment if we decide to help or improve. If the doctor wishes to help a human being, he must be able to accept him as he or she is. And the doctor cannot do this in reality only until they have seen and accepted that person as that person themselves rather seen and accepted themselves as they are. Perhaps this sounds very simple, but simple things are not, or simple things are always the most difficult. They're never easy. In actual life, it requires the greatest art to be simple. And so acceptance of oneself is the essence of the moral problem and the acid test of one's whole outlook on life. That I feed the beggar, that I forgive insult, that I love my enemy in the name of Christ, all these are undoubtedly great virtues. What I do unto the least of my brethren, I do unto Christ. But what if I should discover that the least among them all, the poorest of all beggars, the most impudent of all offenders, yea, the very fiend himself, that these are within me, and that I myself stand in need of the arms of my own kindness, that I myself are the enemy who must be loved. What then? Then, as a rule, the whole truth of Christianity is reversed. There is then no more talk of love and long-suffering. We say to the brother within us, Rocker, condemn and rage against ourselves. We hide him from the world. We deny ever having met the least amongst us. And had it been God himself who drew near to us in this despicable form, we should have denied him a thousand times before a single cock had crowed. So Alan Watts says, you may think the metaphors are here are very strong, but I feel that they are not so needlessly. Uh, Alan Watts says, this is a very, very forceful passage and a memorable one in all of Young's works. Trying to heal this insanity from which our culture in particular has suffered, of thinking that a human being can become whole, healthy and holy by being divided against himself in inner conflict, paralleling the conception of a cosmic conflict between an absolute good and an absolute evil, which cannot be reduced to any prior and underlying unity. In other words, our rage and our very proper rage against evil things which occur in this world must not overstep itself. For if we require as a justification of our rage a fundamental and metaphysical division between good and evil, we have an insane and in a certain sense, a schizophrenic universe. 
of which no sense whatsoever can be made. All conflict, Jung was saying, all opposition has its resolution in an underlying unity. You cannot understand the meaning of to be until you understand the meaning of not to be. You cannot understand the meaning of good unless you understand the meaning of evil. Even St. Thomas Aquinas saw this when he said, just in the silent pause which gives sweetness to the chant, so it is suffering and so it is evil which makes possible the recognition of virtue. This is not, as Jung explains, a philosophy of condoning the evil, but to take the opposite position and agree with the patient offhand is also of no use. It estranges the patient as much as condemnation. And I'm going to inject here that everything we're speaking of now in our country, the United States, and applicable to the world is about making reparations, about seeing us as equal. And there is a Hawaiian philosophy called Ho'oponopono. And it is the, the exercise of calling out the qualities in someone that we would judge, someone we would see as hurtful to society, to us, and recognizing that those same qualities are in us and asking for forgiveness and accepting that forgiveness and giving thanks and saying, I love you. That what you see in another you are capable of within yourself. And until you forgive it within yourself, the essence of that forgiveness towards them is not felt. Now, this is a very powerful exercise, Ho'oponopono. It is amazing and it works because we are all connected by energy. We're all connected telepathically. And this is something not often discussed, but is nevertheless true. When I was in massage school, there was a, a principle that we had heard of, we learned of, called the 100th monkey. And it came about from a team of scientists that were studying the behavior of monkeys in Africa. And while studying these monkeys after a period of time, uh, they were up in these apple trees, fruit trees, where they were getting this fruit to, to eat. And the trees were by a river. And one day, the fruit fell from the tree and rolled into the water. And the monkey who had reached for it, when it dropped, climbed down the tree and stood and looked at the water. And uh, then just stood there a while and looked at it, sitting there in the water. It wasn't rushing down. It wasn't a rushing river. It was placid, and it just watched this, and then went back up in the tree. It's like didn't know what to do with that. The next day, when it happened, the monkey that had the fruit dropped had gone into the river. The monkey looked at it well, and then picked it up from the river and looked at it for a while. It was wet, something it wasn't used to, and took a bite of it and ate it. The next day, the monkey did it on purpose. Put the, they saw it, watched it, put the fruit in the river. 
Well, by the time that the 100th monkey that they had been observing of this group of monkeys, this tribe of monkeys, had accomplished the same feat for the 100th time it happened, in China, a group of scientists also observing monkeys began to observe that the monkeys started putting their fruit into the water and began washing off their fruit. And it was believed that it was a telepathic communication that when enough of the monkeys in Africa, the collective consciousness began washing off their fruit, that collective consciousness was transferred telepathically to another group of monkeys, another part of the world. So it's very powerful. And so what Young is saying here is, we can't just um, make believe we understand what somebody who is suffering is going through or someone who is unacceptable to us as a society. No matter what that is, whether it's behavior, whether it's appearance, whether it's beliefs, religious beliefs, political beliefs, until we accept their beliefs, and are willing to understand and accept them and realize that within ourselves, whatever it is we're judging is within us. And to give ourselves, then true healing and true peace will not be possible. So he goes on to say, um, healing may be called a religious problem in the sphere of social or national relations, the state of suffering may be civil war. And this state is to be cured by the virtue of forgiveness and the love of one's enemy. That which we recommend, the conviction of good intentions, is applicable to external circumstances. We must also apply inwardly in the treatment of neuroses. This is why modern man has heard enough about guilt and sin. He is sorely beset by his own guilty conscience and wants to know how he is to reconcile himself with his own nature, how he is to love the enemy in his own heart and call the wolf his brother. The modern man does not want to know in what way he can imitate Christ, but in what way he can live his own individual life, however meager and uninteresting it may be. It is because every form of every imitation seems to him deadening and sterile that he rebels against the force of tradition that would hold him to well-trodden ways. All such roads to him lead in the wrong direction. He may not know it, but he behaves as if his own individual life will guard special will which must be fulfilled at all costs. This is the source of his beggarism, which is one of the most tangible evils of the neurotic state. But the person who tells him or her they're too egoistic, egoistic has already lost his confidence, and rightly so. So that person has driven him still further into his neuroses. If I wish to effect a cure for my patients, I am forced to acknowledge the deep significance of that egoism. I shall be blind indeed if I did not recognize it as a true will of God. It's like it's interesting. Jung says, I must even help the patient to prevail in his egoism. 
If he succeeds in this feat, he estranges himself from other people. He drives them away, and they come to themselves as they should. For they were seeking to rob him of his sacred egoism. This must be left to him, for it is his strongest and healthiest power. It is, as I said, the true will of God which drives him into a complete isolation. However wretched this state may be, it also stands him in good stead. For in this state alone will he get to know himself. And what an invaluable treasure is the love of his fellow beings. It is only, moreover, in this state of complete abandonment and loneliness that we experience the healthy power of our own natures, the nature of the ego. Blake said, a fool who persists in his folly will become wise. That's what he's saying here. Conversion of the opposite is what brings a conversion of the warring halves of one's personality and thereby brings the civil war to an end. By following versus opposing these, the ego transcends itself moment of insight from ego-centered comes to the same position of the Easterner, and here he's referring to a Hindu or Buddha, which is unity of mind and soul, a peace that passes understanding. In 1925, Carl Jung is quoted as saying, you can only learn who you are through your efforts on other people. So the person who is truly insane is the person who never learns. The person who keeps rebelling and fighting and has people in his life who are trying to heal him without being willing to understand the pain by recognizing it in themselves. And that's where Ho'oponopono comes into play. That is the exercise that allows you to do so. It can also be a state of pure love for your fellow man and for yourself, being willing to accept within yourself. And it must be that you can accept within yourself your own dark sides before you can accept them in someone else. As Christ said, before you take the splinter out of my eye, take the log out of your own. So I hope I didn't go that through that too quickly. It was very profound, and I myself am going to listen to it again. But uh, not my own words, but the lecture itself that I had heard today. And um, begin to study Young, because as I said, teachers that I have studied, such as Dr. Wayne Dyer, were students of Jung, and they Jung, all Jung, and they um, passed along such invaluable information. I would love to know your thoughts. You know, you may always email me or post it on our page, Facebook page, Living and Loving Life, to discuss it further. 
that was a lot for today, so I'm just going to leave you with that and um, let you reflect on that. And anytime you find yourself judging someone, simply look into yourself. Why is this affecting me so much? Uh, the person who is just vigilant about not wanting to have any homeless people in their town see them as you know, quite strongly see them as a threat to their families, to life in their town. Most likely, when somebody reacts strongly to anything, it's a fear they have of their own. That person may have had a time in his or her life when they were almost homeless, when they were homeless, when they spent even one day in their car or were um, going to be evicted and at the last minute were saved from it. But the fear of that and not wanting to be affiliated with that and the public dishonor of that is what is the real cause of their very strong aversion to anyone around them being homeless. It's because it's a painful reminder of their own situation at some time in their life. And this is what it all comes back to. So spend some time reflecting this week on what you have such a strong aversion to and look within yourself and see where that resides within you. What painful memories that is bringing up for you that you have not wanted to address. Um, I look forward to hearing from you and I look forward to speaking with you in a few days. Take care of yourselves. Be kind to yourselves. Love yourself. Love every part of yourself because that's the only way you're going to move forward in your life. Grow in your life. Be the best you in your life and the lives of those you love. God bless. Welcome to Monday, December 14th. For some, it's a very busy time as we gather around to get our shopping done, our gifts wrapped, the house decorated. And for those who maybe had to ship out their gifts ahead of time so they would be received next week or so, you're ahead of the game. So. Um, Maybe you're now using this time to prepare baked goods or have those luncheons with friends, virtually of course, or distanced. Um, 
And there's another aspect of this season that I would like to address today. It's about faith. It's about the, the season itself. You know, I mourn the day when they chose to take Christmas out of this season, when it was decided that saying Merry Christmas was an insult to those who were not Christian. And I remember my son's friend, Mark, who was Jewish, saying, I really hate that they're doing this. I am really going to miss hearing people say Merry Christmas. And I said, well, Mark, that's really interesting because you're Jewish, and this is actually why they're saying it, that those of you who are of a different faith are um, offended by this. And he goes, no, I don't know what they're talking about. He said, I only know that at this time of year, everybody is in such a good mood. Everybody is so happy and polite and friendly and doing things for each other. And he goes, there's no other time of the year like this. And you know, he's right. And we did lose some of that. Everybody had to be so careful. Say happy holidays. He said, Merry Christmas. People were hurt that it was being taken away because it was never meant to offend anyone. And you didn't think about right or wrong. You didn't think about if the person was Jewish or not. What you were saying is, I am wishing you the blessings of God, whom we recognize Jesus as being the son of. Whether you did or not, whether that was of your teaching, we were still wishing you that blessing as we believed it to be. And so I still say Merry Christmas, and I'm so happy to hear when people still say it. It's coming back again, and I am so grateful for that. Because again, it was the reason for the season. It was the essence of it that was lost when they took that away. Um, because people were hurt and confused and upset that they had to catch themselves and it really did detract from it. So, okay, getting back though to the season, getting back to fellowship, to unconditionally accepting and loving someone, strangers, that's the whole reason, the whole purpose, the whole message that Jesus came down to bring. It's the message Martin Luther King Jr. brought to us. It's the message Mahatma Gandhi brought to us. To love and accept one another. To quote Jesus as God accepts us and loves us. And there are, uh, there's so much to this because factors that prohibit us from accepting one another, from loving one another. They have to do with everything that came up for us in the last year. It's about not judging. It's about not discriminating. You see, there's opinions and we all have a right to our opinions. It's what you believe to be right or wrong. But when you take action against that 
you take your opinion and you act on it against another who believes differently, now you've discriminated or acted against that person violently because they are different. Not even what you think, but they are different. And I will bring here a species. Okay, we are all living beings on this planet. Everything that breathes, exudes energy, which is everything, is a living being. The ocean, the earth, the trees, the birds, the animals, us, the rocks, this is all creation. And there was never at any point in time a delineation from one to the other as being lesser or greater. We are not better. And let me put it very simply. The earth would thrive without man. Man will die without the earth. This earth was created in a perfect balance. Its creator knows every intricate connection. It is not our right. Not one person on this earth has the right to decide that any part of creation is dispensable. No one on this planet has the right to harm another for the sake of sport, for the sake of pleasing their ego. For the sake of greed, no one. If we want to see peace on earth, then as the brilliant Albert Schweitzer said, until man has compassion for all living things, he himself will not know peace. This is the time of this year when we preach on peace, love, setting aside our differences. You have to realize that any time you believe yourself to be better than any other living being, you have discriminated against them because all lives matter. And you need to understand that at the very core level of that, that all life matters, that it is not okay to harm hair on anyone's head. It's not okay to destroy a rainforest, to over log, to over mine. Our Native Americans, those wondrous Indians, knew this. They kept America prosperous in its gifts. They honored the gods that gave them the land, the gods that gave them the crop, that gave them the hunt, that gave them the water. They were blessed and gave thanks to the buffalo that gave its life so they may have a tent and a shelter. They gave thanks and blessing for the life of the deer that was going to feed its family and give them the hide for their clothing and their shoes. They had a reverence for life. And until you understand that and embody that, you're not going to give it to your fellow man. And that's what Chief Seattle said. 
what you do to the least of us, you do to yourself. Because once man thinks it's okay to do it here, it's okay to do it there, now it becomes okay to do it to another human being, hence genocide, hence slavery, hence in Native American genocide. Do you know in the 1990s they were still sterilizing Indian girls, 16, 15 year old girls? Sterilizing them. This is a madness. This is an insanity. This is a crime against nature, a crime against God, a crime against life. It is a crime being inflicted on each of us. Joyce Meyer of Joyce Meyer Ministries has a quote I like, hurting people hurt others. And it's true. And this goes back to my topic yesterday and the great Carl Jung's um, lecture that he gave in the 1920s. When people are hurting, they act out in different ways. Spitefulness, passive aggressive. They don't even realize sometimes they're doing it. They do it when they're hurting. They do it when those who have hurt them are hurting them. Now, on the one hand, they may know that they don't want to hurt another person the way they've been hurt. And they will conscientiously choose if they're beaten not to beat. But there's only so much pain someone can endure. And at some point, if it is continued, that person will act out in other ways. They will deny someone something that they would enjoy or need. And they will make a reason for it, but it's stemming from their pain. They will justify it, but it's stemming from their pain. Okay. It's They know they're doing it in the time that they're doing it, but they're in so much pain, they don't care. Or they care a little bit. Or they regret it because they realize that was not the right thing to do. They reacted out of their pain, out of their passion, out of ego. The person who continues to act out of pain becomes, to the far extent, a sociopath. You see, I learned that psychopaths are born that way. They are people unable to feel. They are unable to empathize and have true compassion. They may learn to say and act as if, oh, isn't that bad? Oh, that's so sad. Oh, I'm so sorry. But in fact, they're not feeling it. They just know that's the sociable, acceptable thing to say. And they are capable of doing great damage to others because they will kill and feel no remorse. Now, a sociopath is made. They are the product of having had a parent, a spouse, uh, a loved one, inflicted them with their psychotic behavior. 
They have been the victim and now they are becoming the victimizer. And unless you know their history, you wouldn't know the difference because they too get to a place where they no longer empathize and feel to become one and the same. Take for instance, your child molesters, many of whom, if not all of whom were once molested repeatedly, horrifically. And you would think that in their mind, they would say, well, I will never do this to another. I know that pain. I will never inflict that on another. And I believe there are people out there, probably just as many who had been victimized and whether it was because it wasn't consistent, it wasn't continued, it wasn't um, traumatic because they received help right away, they don't pass it on. Okay, they don't. But the ones who are passing it on, it is the same pain and suffering that they are acting out of and where they had no control when it was being done to them. It is a matter of control now. It is a combination of power and the sexual gratification that they get. That is why they will not be cured of it. And that is a fact. It is a fact that a repeat child offender will not be able to be cured. And yet we cannot allow them to continue to live amongst us. We need to find a way to isolate them or remove them from society because it is a sickness that has prevailed and has poisoned our society around the world horrific increase of child pornography, child sexual abuse is astounding. How do we stand up as a society of good citizens and allow this to continue? It cannot. So we need going into this season Day, every day, I'm going to stand for good. I'm going to stand for health, mind, body, and soul. I'm going to love and accept everyone. I'm going to pray for those that are hurting. I'm going to choose to act out of love and peace. going to celebrate all that is right in this world. And I encourage you to write letters of forgiveness to anyone you've hurt. I encourage you to write letters of thanks to those who have, in a moment, given you peace, security, joy, laughter when you most needed it. Don't allow your ego to stand in the way of that and say, oh, they'll think I'm crazy. They won't remember who I am. No, they may not, but chances are they do. And if they don't, they will at least know that at that moment, that time, they did something that someone didn't forget. They brought peace, joy, laughter, healing, mind, body, and soul 
healing to someone. Because we don't know the good we've done, the extent of the good we've done, how far that was passed on. But a letter like that will inspire them. A letter like that might come at a time when they need the very thing they gave. I'm encouraging everyone everywhere to write these letters of love and gratitude into the world. Forgiveness, letters of forgiveness, forgiving someone for something they did to you or asking forgiveness for something you did to them. Please don't let pride stand in the way and let it be more than one letter. Why don't you let your goal be a letter for each of those? A letter of gratitude, a letter of joy, a letter of forgiveness, a letter of being asked to be forgiven, a letter of pure love, a letter of friendship, giving thanks for the friendship of someone who's been in your life. I'm going to challenge you to send out seven letters in the next seven days. It doesn't have to be one a day. Seven letters in seven days. Can we do that? I think we can. Now, of course, I still prefer pen and paper and a nice stamp on the envelope. I love getting that in my mail with all the bills that come in. How wonderful is that? To get a letter or a card from someone. Come on, admit it, it makes your day. So I'm going to ask if you can to do that. And if not, send it by email, send it by text. Text is too short. Send it by email or in a handwritten letter, a typewritten letter. You will give the best gifts you've given this year when you do that. Please join me in this challenge, seven letters in seven days. I love you. I thank you. I will see you in a few more days. And on that note, um, I realized that on our website, the phone number was wrong. So the phone number, if you would like to message us, and I will give you the email address as well. Phone number is 302-747-6221. The email address a life number four joy a life for joy at yahoo.com God bless have a wonderful Monday Tuesday see you on Wednesday Good evening, it is Wednesday, December 16th, and for those of you who got to enjoy the beautiful snow today, um, I love snow. I have to tell you, having come from California, Southern California, snow is so exciting for me. It, I think it makes everything beautiful. I absolutely love it. Unfortunately, we didn't get that much today, but just talking to relatives in New York tonight, and they're in blizzard conditions. So I'm envious. I really am. <laughs> as long as you've got food and all, I, th I love snow days. I think they're right. And of course, as children, we loved them too, right? So, uh, before COVID, when it was a treat to be home. Yeah. 
Okay, so tonight's episode is going to be about faith, hope, and you know I'll throw some love in there, but the actually the third one I'm going to speak most of is courage. And what is the difference between faith, hope, and courage? Okay, so hope is when you get doubt in your mind and you have the comfort that you're hopeful. It brings you comfort. You're hopeful that things are going to work out. Okay. Um, uh, faith, rather, is stronger. You know, you've heard the saying, faith is believing in what you can't see. We could say the same about hope, right? Uh, but hope, I know, because hope, you, you see something and you say, I hope this works out. You go for a job interview, I hope this works out. Faith is, in, is believing in what you've been taught is true, such as God's love for us. And having the faith that what has been told to you is going to manifest. For those who are intuitive, it is the faith that your intuition is accurate. Because your intuition is always accurate. And as an intuitive, I struggled with it. I really struggled with it. I didn't trust my intuition. So I would get a hit about somebody, and it was a negative hit, and I would think, oh, I don't even know this person. Why am I thinking about that? This was at another time in our culture when intuition was not as widespread acceptable. And um, I learned to have faith in my intuition. And anyone who gets that gut feeling, that very small, soft voice telling you, not to do something or telling you to make a left turn suddenly. That is your Holy Spirit guiding you. That is the voice within you or the God within you, the spirit within you, who is leading you to safety. And then those who are more highly intuitive, it is knowing of other people what's happening with them. And for me, that manifested medically. I can understand what's going on with someone, both psychologically, emotionally, and medically. And I have learned finally, thank you, to trust it. And once I trusted it, it was accurate. I could speak on it. I could work to heal whatever was not right, work with the client, to fix what was not right or avoid something becoming unhealthy for them. And um, it takes work, I'll just say that. So one of the definitions on faith is that it is the confident assurance that what we sense is going to happen, happen, will happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. In an intuitive's case, we see it. It is the evidence. Having that faith results in the evidence of 
of what we did see, seeing it through eyes that are intuitive, not through the physical eyes that others can see with. So, how does that apply to this season, to our lives? Where do we place our hope, our faith, and courage? So you need courage to move forward with your intuition. It takes courage to go ahead and um, reach for something you hope to have. Hoping alone won't do anything. Having intuition and not having the courage to act on it will not build your faith in it. Courage is necessary in both of those tasks, faith and hope. Courage is needed. So the people who have done some amazing things, who have been heroes, who have jumped in and saved a child just in the nick of time that was going to be hit by a car, or jumped into a river, uh, where, you know, after someone who got swept up, or when a bridge collapses and they jump in to save the people. Those are heroes, and they just did it because they knew it was the right thing to do. It had to be done. They didn't think about it. In some cases afterwards, they realize, oh my gosh, had I thought about it, I wouldn't have done it, and that person would have drowned. And I feel again that that's a divine action, that it comes from a place of goodness within us that propels us to do the right thing out of compassion. And it's not easy. There are as many people who in those same circumstances, who are there when the child falls in the river or the bridge collapses, who don't jump in, don't jump in. There are many more who don't than there are who do. And there's nothing wrong if you don't. Um, in some cases, you are as needed to take the child from the hand of the hero that jumped in and get that child safely out so that person jumping in can get safely out. Many times they're not able to do both without additional help. Everybody's help is needed. It doesn't make you a lesser person. And I believe that the regrets we have is what we don't do, not what we do. When intuition told me that somebody was not a good person and I ignored it and I got deeply hurt, I regretted not listening to that intuition. So sometimes in a situation you have to say to yourself, how am I going to feel if I don't do this? Am I going to regret it if I don't do it? I recently heard a speaker talk about acting out of faith and it was in regard to his business and he had like little to no money. He had some credit cards that he could use, but he had no money. And 
an opportunity came up and it was what he knew intuitively he needed. It was the next step. It was going to be huge leap, take a lot of courage. And he chose that leap of faith because something told him, if I don't do this, I'll regret it. This is an opportunity. And he put it on his credit card. No idea how he was going to pay the bill when it came due. And it was life-changing. Not only did he meet his future wife, but it definitely propelled his business. It was an invaluable trip. And it was exactly what he needed. And those opportunities come to all of us. And you cannot stand around making a pro and con list and thinking about it oftentimes. In that moment, you have to make a decision. And if you ask yourself nothing else but, what do I have to lose if I don't do this? Okay, it may sound crazy. It may be totally unlike me, which right then and there should tell you you should do it. The moment you hear yourself say, this isn't like me, I don't do things like this. That's when you know you need to do it. Oddly enough, that's the signal. And not because somebody is forcing you or cajoling you into doing it. Or a group of friends are pushing you to do it with them. It's when you yourself are presented with the opportunity and it's purely your choice, that's when you have to say, well, am I going to regret it if I don't do this? And then go do it. Because rarely does it have severe consequences. I mean, rarely does somebody die from that or lose a quality of life doing that it always brings benefits you would not have otherwise attained and if we look at the story of Jesus's birth there were those signs all along of people trusting people getting that hit when they saw the star when the of course when an angel comes to you but you know what? A lot of times in life, angels do come to us in the form of people, in the form of animals. And they still bring a message. And we do have them around us all the time. And we do, at some point perhaps, realize that that had been a divine moment. A divine moment. There was something quite miraculous about the coincidence of that particular moment. So, it is a wonderful time of the year. It is a time to reflect on our decisions and our choices we made that year. And remember the times we listened to our intuition. And remember the times we didn't take that chance, take leap of faith. Um, or very simply chose to sit in fear versus 
moving forward. Um, times like these with COVID, when people are having a hard time financially, and you're in your business, and you have an opportunity to grow, and you say to yourself, I can see it's an opportunity. I can see it may do something great for me. Like I just heard of a woman who just before COVID hit, just before we were quarantined, she was starting a new business. She was looking at the money she had from marketing and she had a choice. Am I going to pursue marketing myself to presentations, live presentations? Or do I want to put this time and money into marketing myself on the line, on Instagram, on podcasts? And she made the choice to go for podcast. And then the quarantine hit and she knew she had made the right choice. And she said, I just knew it was the better choice. I was nervous because both of them at the time looked good both had benefits, but I just listened to this little voice in me. And sometimes that's what we need to do is just sit and ask the question and then listen, wait and listen. So that sense of which is the better choice. It's a very soft voice intuition. When you hear a loud voice in your head telling you to do something, that's a clue that it's not for your best interest. That's ego. That's ego who wants to be at the forefront of your life. Ego who wants to be in control and does not have your best interest at heart and will steer you down the wrong path. So if you're hearing loudly that you should do something, and I'm not talking about somebody who is walking or driving and suddenly hears a voice in their head that says, stop the car. And they stop and suddenly somebody passes a stoplight and they would have hit them or been hit by them if they hadn't braked. That's a whole nother story. I'm talking about just every day, going about your business, making decisions for your family or your health or your business. And you hear that it's a tinge. My son calls it his gut feeling. He has a feeling in his gut about it. So that's what we're going to talk about today, or that's what actually I've been talking about today. So um, I would really like to hear where you may have had some trouble with that, where you may have felt that um, you are regularly not listening to trusting that intuition. And I'd like to hear for those of you who have listened to that intuition. Every year at Christmas, and I've said this before, I ask my relatives to do two random acts of kindness and tell me about them in a letter. 
tell me of the incident, tell me what they chose to do, whether or not they had the opportunity to see the result of what they did, and if so, what that result was. And if not, that was perfectly fine. We don't always see the result. Um, especially when we do things anonymously, let's say it's the holidays and you go to a restaurant and you say, as you're paying for your bill, you see a family and you can tell that it's probably cost them more than they had to have that meal with their family. You can tell that this was a special night and um, paying for that meal, their whole family maybe was going to be a stretch and you pay for their meal and you tell the waitress when they ask for the bill, just let them know it's been paid and they are not to know who paid it. And the waitress doesn't know your name unless you paid your bill with a credit card and you don't wait around and you just get up knowing that you did a good thing, okay? That um, you put a little magic in somebody's life. So I love hearing about those moments that people choose to do and I would love to hear from you. So please comment on our Facebook or Instagram page, A Life for Joy, Living and Loving Life. And um, let me know. So the other thing that I thought I would mention tonight about with regard to all this is... People who find themselves stuck, they find themselves in a rut. They find themselves in a pattern of making wrong choices. And that's when the ego loves to go to work and, and start labeling you as dumb, uh, uh, you know, unable do your job or unable to find the right person and I am going to ask you to please be kind to yourself be your best friend don't listen to that voice We're, we have patterns in our life because of some false belief that we adopted about ourselves most likely as a child or an adolescent. Something like that was said to us by somebody important in our life, like a parent or a teacher. And if you ingested that at the time and accepted it, then you will continually play that out and that's what you're acting out from. So that's why you make the wrong choices. Because you are continually going to keep Proving that to be true, even though you don't want it to be true, even though you tell yourself that's not true. But for something important like love and business, career, earning a living, if you have any self-doubt, that's what's going to be behind your choices. So give yourself the gift of self-love. I am a bookworm. 
there are so many books on the market that you can read about to help overcome this. There are podcasts. Uh, Dr. Lisa Romano has a wonderful series on YouTube about um, narcissism and uh, sociopaths, which is the extreme end of all that. But she's talking about the people also who are the victims of those people and people who are always just what I spoke of now, making wrong choices who are the victims and how to avoid that. And what she particularly speaks on is very helpful for those of you dealing with that. Renee Brown, wonderful speaker with a lot of research background. There are a number of people. So do your research. Go online. Look for those people who speak about self-worth, self-esteem. Evan Carmichael, great podcast leader, has wonderful guests on who speak on that topic. Lewis Howes, a lot of podcast leaders um, who have guests who talk about that. So invest in yourself. That is the greatest investment you can do, is to invest in yourself and heal that child within you that is believing you are not worthy. And then you will make the right choices. And then you will begin to trust your intuition. You'll begin to heal from it. It's a long process. And you just need to take that first step and make that commitment to yourself. I find a lot of times people get to a place in their life where they begin making a lot of they begin breaking a lot of commitments, including to themselves. So they may break commitments with friends, they may back out of lunches, so forth, and people get upset with them. But the greatest harm they do is to themselves, because every time they say they're gonna go on a diet and they don't, they're gonna quit smoking and they don't, they're gonna stay home more with the family, they don't. Anytime you tell yourself you're going to do something and you don't, it hurts and you don't even realize it. You start to lose your own faith in yourself. You start to not trust yourself. So you start not trusting yourself to make the right choices. And you just need to spend time understanding what it's all about, understanding what the messages are that you're telling yourself and work on healing that part of yourself, learning how valuable you are, getting to know yourself for the first time, and know that you are loving and lovable and worthy. And come from that place. Make those choices. Don't feel like you have to answer everybody who asks you a question. Take time to think about how you want to answer that person or if you even want to answer that person. People ask a lot of questions they have no right to ask. And I was such a people pleaser, and I would always answer. It was like a Pavlov's response. I would just go ahead and answer every time, and then realize a few minutes later, or a couple 
couple of hours later, why did I answer that person? They had no right to ask that question. I didn't want to give that information to them. Why did I do that? And it was because I was always trying to be the good girl. You answer your elders, even though they're not my elders, you answer a question when it's asked of you. And it took practice to stop doing that. And it's a process. It's a process. But every step you take and every part you take that you heal brings you closer to having the life that you want. It is your life. And it's about you healing from your false beliefs and living life as the person you truly are, as the wonderful person born into this time on earth, with his or her own set of gifts to give to the world. Gifts of love, gifts of peace, gifts of laughter and joy, gifts of leadership for the good of all. Have a blessed night and day, and I will speak with you again on Friday. Stay well. Thank you for listening.